Welcome back to the European show. This is episode 25 and we're going to mainly look back at the Super Cups that happened um, during this past week. To join me in doing so, as always, is Nick. Hello, hello. Welcome back. How are you doing, Jack? I'm, I'm doing all right. Um, so the first place we'll start, um, it's worth noting that we did neglect this, mainly because we both forgot about it. But that is the the Spanish Super Cup. Yeah, also, because to be fair, not many people really care about it, so uh, it's kind of a thing that happened, and people were like, "Oh yeah, the Super Cup's on tonight." Yeah, the, the game that has happened that we will be looking back up is a big one. It's Real Madrid versus Barcelona. Um, Real Madrid ended up winning three two after extra time, and Barcelona actually proved to be quite surprising in this game. Yeah, while the game itself wasn't of particular importance, it was a semi-final of the Super Cup, the the game was quite interesting, uh, mostly because we saw, it, it, it ended up being, um, I guess you could say, kind of psychologically important, because we saw Barcelona uh, walk out with a lot more confidence than they did in the earlier Clásico this season, where they just kind of they took control of the game, but you could very much tell us because Real Madrid led them and they and they were lost on the pitch always. I mean, for this, they, um, they would push forwards a lot more confidently. They would pass the ball with a lot more intention. And um, and in the end, they were outclassed because Real Madrid is the better team at the moment by, by a fair margin. But they definitely put up a good fight. Best of all, uh, Luke de Jong scored. It was a pretty terrible goal. I'll keep it. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, but a goal is a goal. Uh, it was a defensive mistake from from Militao, who is having some ups and downs these last few weeks. It's not the first time uh, against Getafe. He also made a pretty big blunder, and yeah, so here he gave away a, a goal to Luke de Jong. It, it's worth noting that Luke de Jong is experiencing a redemption arc, because obviously it was rumored that he was going to be sold in January because they don't because Xavi doesn't want him anymore. But he's now proceeded to score three goals in three games, including a bicycle kick. No, it wasn't a bicycle kick. He, he, he did it. Oh, he, he, he nearly did. He, nearly he did. almost scored a bicycle kick, which would have guaranteed him a contract for life. Then, um, but yeah, I, despite, despite conceding, uh, Real Madrid were already a goal up because of a goal from Vinicius. Uh, another player who's having a, a redemption arc. He is going crazy this season. We I have not stopped talking about him, really. Today he wasn't as expressive in general throughout the game, uh, but he did score because uh, the main threat to Barcelona was Benzema. He he had a game and a half. He was really incredible. I think, I I mean the game was quite even and Barcelona played well, but uh, Real Madrid was I would confidently say the team that made that created the most danger, and really the number one man responsible for that was Karim Benzema. He was crazy he was toying with all of Barcelona's defenders moving them around with so much flair and subtlety and he could have scored two more goals he he set up a few teammates quite well as well and they were close misses he ended up scoring one of these from one of these chances he himself created to make it 2-1 and then Barcelona equalized right before the 90th minute with a with a header from Ansu Fati who is once again back from injury and will be hoping to get the ball rolling again um, Anso himself was uh, also a bit on and off during the game. He had some really good moments where he um, where he really moved forwards and and was confident on the ball. Was quite progressive, 
uh, he wasn't always well balanced it seems and he and he didn't quite pull off all the movements he wanted to do the whole time a similar case for Pedri who also returned from injury but I would say he actually had a pretty good game where most of the stuff he, he wanted to come out did come out and as per usual he was very energetic and very active and it was it was a nice return to see, and it was nice to see him returning to the pitch but then um, but then yeah Barcelona equalized uh, shortly before the 90th minute the game got prolonged to extra time and there really Real Madrid's superior, superiority was was heavily imposed onto onto Barcelona uh, and then they scored the the 2-3 no, but within within a few minutes, and it was completely game over. The Real Madrid could have scored a few more as well. Uh, Ter Stegen had a good game today. Um, you could argue that he could have saved Vinicius's goal or di- or dived more for it, but when you look at it, it was a powerful shot. And there's a bit of a joke that Ter Stegen never moves and stuff, but whatever. But no, th- th- this was a difficult one one on one, and I wouldn't say he had anything else that he could have done about it. Uh, and then for the rest, for the rest of the game, he was he was much better than he has been previously, making a lot of good saves, um, not not making small mistakes like he used to be. So yeah, it was, it was definitely an interesting game with a with a lot of new things. It is worth noting that Ferran Torres made his debut for Barcelona as well, and the first thing he did was get the yellow card. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He, he wasn't terrible, but it, you, you can't tell that he will need some time to, to get used to the team. And, and Torres was only able to be registered because Sami Umtiti is taking a pay cut and obviously Barcelona have sent Philippe Coutinho on loan to Aston Villa. Um, so that is how they've been able to, to register him. Yep. Depay also came, into the, came onto the pitch and it's weird to say that Luke de Jong in these last three weeks has been making creating more danger than Memphis Depay. But it's it's the truth. He is going through a rut right now, and he is just in a bad spot uh, in terms of form. So we'll have to wait and see if he can manage to recover, which I think he can because obviously it, he's quite an experienced footballer. It won't be the first time in his career uh, that he'll have had to pick himself up from a low point. <coughs> his time at Manchester United, I mean, what? Um, yeah. It, it, before we move on, it is interesting how the pie in the space of not even six months. It's gone from Barcelona, it's one of Barcelona's best players, to now struggling to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with the incoming competition, Ferran Torres, Luke de Jong picking up his form, and uh, the rumours, the very light rumours of Haaland, which is obviously unlikely, but it is possible. Like, w- will we see him, how much will we see him play? He was one of the star signings. And keep in mind that Conaguero uh, was forced into retirement, because or else he'd have another competitor for the starting striker spot. So well, where does that put him? He he was one of the star signings for Barcelona, and now he's really struggling to to find himself a spot on the eleven. Yes, it'd be interesting to see how Depay can try and fit himself back into the team. So obviously, if, if you're behind Luke de Jong, you might as well just maybe <laughs> retire. retire. Yeah. Um, so the other um, semi-final of the Super Cup is Athletic. Madrid versus Athletic Bilbao. Well, I mean, by the time this podcast comes out, the game will already have been played. Um, obviously, one would expect Atleti to win, but uh, Atleti is going through a pretty well. They're recovering from a from a rough run of form, uh, so I think Atletic has a good chance of making it through. But also, they have a habit of choking when it comes to to big games. 
So we'll have to see how that turns out. And and while we're on the Super Cup, obviously it's being played in Saudi Arabia, um, as the Spanish Football Federation sold out or to um, to Saudi Arabia to allow the the tournament to be played there. And the fact it's also being played in the middle of January, in the middle of the season. Um, disregarding all of this, I think the concept is a good one. Um, it's just the poor timing of it all and its location. If it was played in the summer in Spain, I think it'd be a lot more appealing to people and it would actually maybe drum up some sort of excitement and it's, it could be kind of a season opener to the season. Yeah, exactly. But, but not now in the middle of January. Because traditionally the the Super Cup was a one-off game be- between the like any Super Cup between the winner of the league and the cup and then they play uh, in a bit before the season begins uh, and then they decided to as you said change it to this format which is a, a bit more interesting which which turns into a mini tournament format inviting two other teams to make it a semi-final and then a final but then they also changed the timing of it which is very uncomfortable it's quite disruptive and I'm sure the teams uh, don't really like or, or, or I can imagine it will be hard for them to to have this extra mini tournament in the middle of their already quite long season so yeah, I think if they kept the format but brought it back to to its old time period in in around August or so, it could it could be a, like quite a nice way to play the Super Cup. Um, but obviously that's not going to happen anymore because now money just rules everything in football. Um, this weekend we have the return of the Copa del Rey. Um, there are some interesting ties, however, these are kind of being split between this weekend and next midweek because obviously some of the teams are in the Super Cup. So this weekend itself, you have the Seville derby between Real Betis and Sevilla, and then also you have Atletico Baleares, who we highlighted the last time we spoke about the Copa del Rey versus Valencia. Both very interesting ties in their own right. Anyone who's been listening to the podcast for a while will know I go crazy about the, the Sevilla derby or a Gran Derby. So that is easily my favorite fixture. Mm, so yeah, that that certainly is for me the game that will be that I will be watching because I think it will be by far the most entertaining. Um, and then the other interesting one you mentioned, Atletico Baleares. They're a third division team. They've already knocked out two um, La Liga teams, those being Getafe and Celta Vigo. And they're coming up against quite a good team in Valencia, but also um, Valencia like a lot of other La Liga teams, has a habit of underestimating the lower league teams. Um, and that's essentially why the other La Liga teams got knocked out. So I think it, that if that if Atletico Valladares put up a good fight here, they can they can maybe even go even further into the Copa, which I think would be extremely interesting. Um, then in next midweek, which we'll talk more in depth of next week, is Atletico Bilbao versus Barcelona, Elche versus Real Madrid, and then Real Sociedad versus Atletico Madrid. It is now. <laughs> we'll have our. Welcome back from our break. Um, we're now doing Serie A or the Super Cup um, between Inter Milan and Juventus. Um, Juventus actually 
weren't as bad for part of this game as, as usual as they did actually take the lead in this game um, through Weston McKinney um, but then a few minutes later Juventus's defence became quite fragile they made a mistake and that's what Lautaro Martinez um, equalised with a penalty this then just really saw into dominate um, the game but they weren't really able to to capitalise on that and it th- sent the game to extra time I think it's interesting to see I don't think many people I think I've made similar comments to this but um, the reputation of Juventus was that they had such an unbreakable defence always in the past and now uh, and now we're saying we're making these comments like oh it was all good until their defence got shaky or yeah their defence let them down and yeah it's interesting to see this transition from yeah this unshakable back line that they always had this this back three of Chiellini Bonucci and then it was sometimes you would fill it in with with different players but for example um, yeah and and then Barzagli as well so I I don't know it's just an an interesting change in bad management that they haven't been able to replace these aging or even retiring players what's interesting is this is the same manager yeah. Yes, you've had you've had Sarri, you've had Pirlo come in mm-hmm. in that time, but the time that Juventus were dominating and were a threat in Europe, mm-hmm. but they made it to the Champions League finals. Allegri was in charge. Um, they had the backline of Buffon, Barzagli, Benucci, Chiellini, and then you had Stefan Lichtensteiner and and Patrice Evra as well, and sometimes Dani Alves. It's interesting now. It's probably because of age, really. Mm-hmm. Um, Chiellini and, and Bonucci are both kind of declining. Um, obviously, the last hurrah was probably the Euros, as a. Um, but now they are they are declining. They don't have as much mobility. Not that they had much back, like going back seven years ago or whatever. Um, then, but yeah, they're obviously aging. Um, but even with Matthias Delict coming in, um, it's still not working mm-hmm. or helping. And I, I, I think it is interesting how this is still the same manager that took them to these Champions League finals against Barcelona and Real Madrid and and has now, they're in a similar state to what Barcelona were in, 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 in a way. Yeah, you can say that it's well and truly um, his tactics, Allegri's tactics have gone quite stale because, I mean, obviously he, he was quite good. Uh, and he had a lot of success with Juventus, but um, but it's it's also true that in his last few years before he was let go and replaced with Sarri, uh, there was quite a lot of comments about how his football had slowed down, and uh, and teams were beginning to defend him much better against against the way Juventus played, and now yeah we're seeing he's come back and he hasn't innovated at all and Sarri's tactics aren't I mean. Uh, Allegri's tactics are the same as they've always been and they're, and, and they're just not good anymore and obviously that was proven later on in the game when Alexis Sanchez comes in and after more defensive errors from Juventus scores in the 120th minute and ultimately making Inter Milan win the Supercopa or Supercup um, it's interesting now to think I'm not going to be as reactionary as usual because I could say, are we in- entering an era of dominance for Inter Milan? Because obviously it's halfway through the season. But um, I think we're obviously seeing the end of Juventus's dominance um, for the reasons that we've previously mentioned. 
but I just think the other teams around them are becoming a lot stronger again, the likes of Milan, Inter Milan. We're seeing a very strong, yeah, competent Atalanta. They haven't quite gotten any silverware under their belts yet, but I think it's only a matter of time. Or at least they, they will, at least certainly they are thrown in, in everyone's sides for now. Yeah, so, so so we're definitely entering a new era of no, it's, the wrong word. it's not it's not just Juventus dominating the league anymore and they're not no longer going to be the outright favorites to win the league every season. It, it's now going to be a lot more difficult. Um, speaking of Atalanta, they do play Inter Milan this weekend. It's first versus fourth. Um, obviously Inter Milan are just the entertainers of Italian football. They're no defending just vibes um, and they've been like that for a while and it's obviously worked and so it'd be interesting to see how this inter team deal with, with Atalanta um, Juventus play Udinese Bologna play Napoli and then Milan played Spezia and that is it for Italy the Bundesliga so the biggest game this weekend is between Leverkusen, or is between Borussia Mönchengladbach and Bayer Leverkusen. Obviously, Borussia Mönchengladbach are wanting to show that last weekend's win against Bayern Munich was not just some hoax. Bayern were heavily affected from COVID, How? and this is a a challenge because obviously the last time these two teams met was back in August, and it saw Bayer Leverkusen absolutely dominate um, Borussia Mönchengladbach, and which I was. Unfortunate enough to see live and in person watch Borussia Mönchengladbach get torn apart um, and that started their gradual decline. Um, so it will be interesting how actually both teams do as well because Bayer Leverkusen have been struggling as of late as they have proved to be a bit of a leaky defence as well as it's exciting going forward. Um, so really it's a case of um, an unstoppable force with a leaky defence in Bayer Leverkusen against a leaky attack and a leaky defence in Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, so I, I would expect a lot of goals in this game because it always does provide goals between these two teams. Obviously the 4-1 early on in the season then going to last season there was a famous 4-3 at the Bayer Arena which is worth noting now Valentino Lazaro, who scored in that goal, who scored this famous scorpion kick, that is not nominated for the Puskas, which I think is a great robbery. Um, yeah, I think that is pretty... Uh, even I don't agree with that decision. Um, so, I'll just put that out there. Um, staying on Borussia Mönchengladbach, um, they have signed Marvin Friedrich. He, he's a centre-back, he's 26, he's from Union Berlin. Um, and he's basically came in as the Matthias Ginter replacement. Obviously, Ginter's still at the club as of now. Um, however, uh, although he's proved to be a competent defender for Union Berlin, obviously they are in the Conference League, this is a bit of a downgrade on, on Ginter. Obviously, Gin Ginter is a year older. However, Ginter has been to World Cups, he's been to the Euros, um, he is an experienced defender at a high level. Marvin Friedrich is not. I understand that Gladbach are in a, in a bit of a, a rebuild situation. However, if you're going to go for a defender, you want to go for a young one, you know, to help start the rebuild as well. Um, of, 
and and a young defender would happily suit what Bruce Lynch and Gladbach have going on. Um, one that comes to mind is Malik Thiao at um, at Schalke. Obviously, he's in the second division, especially if Schalke don't get promoted. So I, I do think, obviously, this may come back to bite me. Um, within a year, Marvin Friedrich may be a, a German international, um, but at the moment, I do think this is a bit of a a regression, and and this may be the sign of the times for Borussia Gladbach in the direction that they are heading in. Borussia Dortmund play Freiburg. Obviously, in the previous game last season, Freiburg beat Borussia Mönchengladbach quite quite shockingly. Not Borussia Mönchengladbach, they did beat them. Um, Freiburg beat Borussia Dortmund quite shockingly in the, in the second game of the season, kind of showing this is why Dortmund won't win the league. And so it'll be interesting to see how this Dortmund team does again and sees if they are able to not be as bad defensively as previously. Um, Bayern Munich play Cologne. We mentioned last week how it's going to be a bit of a challenge and obviously it will still be a challenge for Bayern as although they have had some players come back from COVID, they are still without Manuel Neuer, Lucas Hernandez, Lee Rosane, Leon Goretzka, Dioto Upamecano and Alfonso Davies. So they're still without a good core of players going into this game and obviously Kelowna in form they're a tough team to play against um, so it will be interesting to see how this pans out and if Dortmund are able to beat Freiburg and Bayern Munich do slip up against Cologne then it's going to make this very interesting now but what's also interesting is Bayern Munich have signed Kingsley Coman onto a new contract for which expires in 2027. That makes him the longest player, or the long, he has the longest contract in the Bundesliga, as well as obviously at Bayern Munich. Um, but it's interesting, the wage structure at, at, at Bayern Munich is, is, to put it lightly, fucked. As, <laughs> um, since Bayern's have signed players like Leo Zane, Lucas Hernandez, paying a lot of money for these players, these type of players want a lot of money themselves and that has heavily affected the wage structure obviously in recent weeks or in recent months Joshua Kimmich has signed a new contract Leon Goretzka has signed a new contract um, Serge Gnabry wants to sign a new contract as well all of them wanting to be in the higher tiers of money and that does have a knock-on effect the three main players at Bayern Munich now want to um, extend is Manuel Neuer and Thomas Muller who are kind of guaranteed to sign because they'll probably Thomas Muller especially will definitely finish their careers at Bayern Munich but the mate the interesting one is Robert Lewandowski obviously the best striker in the world arguably the best player in the world depending who you ask um, he wants more money and he wants obviously there are rumors every time that Lewandowski's moving or wants to move he wants to go to Real Madrid he wants to go here there um, but whatever Lewandowski wants, he's on quite a lot of money now. Um, so it does mean he could potentially ruin this wage structure even more as he asked for so much more money. And obviously that's why we saw players like David Alaba leave, Jerome Boateng leave, as they weren't able to come to agreements on contracts because of this wage structure. Um, and this is going to be something that will affect by now moving forward no matter who they sign um, 
So it, it it will make you think. Do they reg obviously they won't regret the signing of the likes of Leroy Sane, but do they regret the amount of money that they have spent and given to these players? Yeah, I certainly think so because if we look at all of these clubs, for example, Barcelona and Juventus are our main examples. Uh, these clubs that are struggling, and we and we constantly say, oh, they've been managed badly. It sounds strange to think that that Bayern might end up with the same problem as them because we always think of Bayern as a very well-managed and tightly run club. But uh, yeah, we're beginning to see kind of this wage inflation that we began to saw. For example, at Barcelona, they, they've only just reduced Umtiti's contract, but he had astronomical wages for years and years for this very reason, because they messed up their wage structure and then more and more players um, were like, oh yeah, I can be paid more. I can ask for more money. And then another basically derelict and they're they're uh, in a very bad economic position so uh, if Bayern can't calm down their players and and kind of stem this flow of uh, of, of money outwards uh, then then they might end up finding a financial a financial situation they might end up finding a financial situation similar to that of Barcelona's it is worth noting that um, Bayern Munich are actually one of the only teams in, I think, Europe's top five leagues to um, make a profit. That's crazy, even in Corona time. Especially even in Corona, they, they've actually been able to make a profit. But then if you look at their incomings, they've been quite savvy, such as signing um, Master Sabbaths for very little money. Obviously, disregarding... Uh, to Upamecano, the rest of the the signings have been quite savvy and for very little money. But yeah, so yeah. Um, the final game is Stuttgart versus RB Leipzig. Um, it'd be interesting if Leipzig are able to show that they are not as patchy in their form now and are actually able to fight again for the European places. And the earlier game in the season, they actually um, beat Stuttgart quite convincingly. Um, and it also for Stuttgart they are on the edge of a relegation battle if not in one um, so they kind of need to start performing if they want to stay in the Bundesliga so now we'll have a goalsome break and then we'll be back with Liga and something very interesting in Belgium Welcome back from our goal song break. You just heard the Genk goal song. So, Nick, what do you um, rate it out of 10? Eh, it's all right. It has some excitement, but it's not particularly different or unique. So I'll give it a 6 out of 10. I'll give it, I'll give it a 5. I think I've only heard it once live, and that was when Genk was being pummeled by um, Liverpool in the Champions League. <laughs> um, we'll briefly look at Liga. PSG play Brest. We're likely to see to the return of Lionel Messi, who... Um, who was out as he was still recovering from COVID. Well, it's just interesting to see if PSG are going to be as tragic as they have been in the past and are actually going to play well again against Brest. Um, and obviously Brest have um, Romain Favre, who's probably one of the most... He's been a, a definitely surprised this season. Um, so it will be interesting to see 
had terrible PSG actually are in this game. Um, and then the biggest game is between Marseille and Lille. Marseille obviously second, trying to close that gap on PSG, whereas Lille are languishing in mid-table. And the only highlight of their season has been Jonathan David. Obviously, it's great for us. Um, but yeah. Exactly. Once again, one of the top scorers in the league, um, competing with Mbappe. We we have gone over this before, but uh, once again, it's just lovely to see him succeeding as much as he is. Um, so now on to Belgium. Um, there has been, we have kind of neglected Belgium this year a bit. Um, however, I think with what we, what's been happening, we kind of have to look at it a bit more. Um, so the first thing we'll look at is, is the Belgian gold boot or shoe award was given last night on the night we were recording this and that is the best that is the award for the best players in the Belgian league um, I think over the past year and I think the finalists were Paul Onuachu, Noah Lang and Charles De Clatter of, of two, two two players of club I've butchered that name De Catalera <laughs> yeah I've butchered that um Two players of Club Rouge, one of Genk, uh, the team that finished first and second. Onu actually won. Um, however, before we got onto the details of it, Noah Lang, after the game, came or after the awards, came out and said that he was better than Onu Wachu and felt like he deserved the award. Obviously, we have praised Noah Lang on this podcast before. However, this time, he's been out of pocket. Absolutely. It's a crazy statement. Noah Lang is a great footballer and he had a, a, a pretty excellent season. Don't get me wrong. If, if, if we look at the goal contributions over last season, um, Noah Lang had 16 goals and 7 assists. That, mm. is a, that is a good season. And that totals to 23 goal contributions. Paul Onuachu had five, 5 assists and 33 goals. I think you, 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 can't, you, can't, you can't compete with that. Yeah. His goal contributions, Lang's, is lower than Onuachi's goals. G- granted, Noah Lang won the league. And sure, you can, you can make an argument that his value is in creation and, oh yeah, he, he, he's a winger who creates a lot of danger and all that. But Onuachi's hard numbers are way above. Noah Lang has always had these attitude problems and, and he thinks he's a massive hotshot, which in fairness, he has the quality to back it up on most occasions. But to... But, but to um, but to just rag on Onuachu like this is, uh, it's unfounded. It, he, he can't he can't back up his claims on this occasion. It, it's definitely a time that Lang has to be humbled. Really, um, it's definitely he's wrong, and and I think everyone agrees that as well. You just can't compete with a season like that. Uh, and even now, Onuachu is, is once again having a better season than Noah Lang. Both of which are obviously doing great, but Onuachu is once again. Just a little bit better. Now, two teams that have to be highlighted in the league this season. The first one we'll talk about is Beershot. We obviously spoke about them last year because they were fighting the top of the table for quite a bit of the season, but then unfortunately tailed off. Um, and that tail off has continued to this season. They currently sit dead last in the table, 10 points behind last or second last Sarang. And so it just looks like they're heading back to... Uh, the second division after a promising season last year, especially with uh, Raphael Holzenhauser as well. Now, uh, interestingly enough, their underdog top spot has been taken by Saint-Gilloise, 
who we saw top of the table for a long time uh, at the start of the season and we thought oh yeah this is going to be another case like Beerschot where they where they start off quite well and they end up dropping off but they're still top and quite comfortably as well so could this finally be the the recently promoted league when we we see yeah the last time a team that won the league in a top division or got promoted and won the league was Kaiserslautern in 1997 um obviously it's not really a major league um but obviously it's still something great to see and especially what's interesting is Felipe Masley the coach he used to coach Genk and he kind of dropped he got sacked by Genk and kind of dropped down a division um to coach Saint Girard and obviously it's paying off as he got them promoted and they're now seven points clear ahead of Club Rouge and, and looking quite convincing as well yeah with um well over halfway into the season now to have a seven point lead is, is quite significant sure Club, Club Bruges and Anderlecht who are trailing them have more experience uh, and Antwerp is not far behind either to be fair but um, but these clubs have more experience and you can you can say that they'll be more consistent in the final games of the season but it, it's already crazy how how good Saint-Gilois have been um, but um, but yeah we'll, we'll have to see if they can keep it up also since the Belgian Pro League has a playoff system where even if uh, where even if they finish top of the table in the regular season it doesn't guarantee them win the league then they have to win their playoffs as well but having an advantage in the regular season does give you an advantage in the playoffs so I, I if they can keep this big lead then they will have enough of a cushion to, to still do well when it really matters to win the title yeah, obviously they, they can cruise through this season we're coming against weaker opposition but when you get to that playoff stage that's when it's going to be most crucial because that's when you come up against constantly the teams that are around you and you can't really um, fault so obviously that's going to make or break them as, as league winners um, obviously but it, it's more it's going to be more interesting to see how they do because obviously they are a newly promoted team will, ex- will the experience of the likes of Club Rouge and Genk get to them um, that'd be interesting to see and definitely something we'll keep our eye out for as well yeah, and and they've had a, a bit of an inconsistent record against the bigger teams as well um, they did manage to beat Anderlecht when they played them but uh, they drew against Genk they lost against Bruges um, they beat Ghent so they're kind of on and off they lost to Antwerp so I mean it, they it, it seems that they could manage in a in a in the in the playoffs but um, but you it's really just a thing of time will tell so I think it, I really want them to to keep their top spot and then watch the Belgian playoffs in a few months time um, so that is it for today um, thank you for listening please like us follow us rate us subscribe whatever and yeah we'll be back on Tuesday yep we will be right back thank you very much for listening have a great weekend mm-hmm.